Now let's do a little scripture, shall we? Uh, we, are, we are in Hebrews chapter 12. We're, we're cheating my rule about one chapter per Sunday because these last two chapters are just too jammed packed. We could have made an argument for many of the other chapters as well. So we're going to divide chapter 12 into two Sundays and chapter 13 into two Sundays. Chapter 12, we start today. Thank you to Will Baxter for taking chapter 11 yesterday. It's a very stunning powerful chapter, chapter 11 is, about faith driving you forward, faith giving you a verb, faith requiring an action. But I hope you also notice something else here, and I've not listened to his lesson. I trust Will. He is a great speaker and a great fellow. There's something in that chapter that does need to be stressed. In fact, Albert and I talked about that on Friday. By faith, some people got land. By faith, some people survived storms by faith some people prospered but also by faith some were stoned to death by faith some were sawn in two by faith some were destroyed your faith is not always going to solve your problems in fact <coughs> Susie your faith may create problems even the problem of evil what so many people talk about and have since people could talk is not solved by our faith in God. It's caused by our faith in God. Because we believe in an all-powerful, uh, benevolent God, we now have the problem of evil to deal with. The Odyssey uh, is the name of the, the study. But there's, there's more to this. Your faith can divide your family as easily as it can unite your family. And that's what chapter 11 tries to show you. If we follow God, things may not go well. I remember when I first moved into Rochester, Michigan, it's in a Detroit area. The elders at that time, all wonderful fellows, called me, and I'd only been there a few months, and they said, we'd like for you to help, uh, well, you'd like for you to write a five-year plan for the church. I said, what would be in, involved in that? And they said, well, you know that at this particular date, we should have this many people in attendance, and at this particular date, we should have this many and be able to... And, I, when they were all done, I said, no, no, I'm not going to do that. And they looked at me because most elders are business people and they're not, they're used to plans and not used to somebody going, no, I don't think so. I looked at them and said, first of all, I don't want to plan the Holy Spirit out of a job. We're going to let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit does. Second, if I am a faithful teacher of the, of, of the stories of Jesus the Christ, we might only have 30 people here in five years. That did not encourage them. <clears throat> I could tell that some of them were thinking, this should have been brought up in the interview. But we ended up having a great 10 years there, and um, it's many highlights in my life there, because we let the Holy Spirit call the next play, seeing what happens next. Faith, wow, it's complicated. We're going to start at the very end of chapter 11 and read the very first of chapter 12, right? Starting chapter 11, verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and ascend that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. 
For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. None of the people by faith received what they were supposed to receive by faith. Here, we receive it off-site. And it shows that even Jesus, he, he faced the cross because he had faith that after the cross there would be that crown, that sitting at the right hand of God. And the writer of Hebrews says that's exactly what happened. There's a lot to unpack here. The phrase, the cloud of witnesses, that was a, a common term in the day's parlance. And it referred to the crowd of a sporting event or gladiatorial combat or any of those. And some of those games ended in the death of the participants. And he says, we have them watching us. We have the crowd watching us. The angels are in our corner. The heavenlies encourage us forward. And they're, they're not fickle in this. My son in the early days of video games had a video golf game. And whenever you hit a shot, the crowd would roar if it was a good shot. And where, if it landed, they would roar in excitement. Then if it went into the rough or a trap, they go, oh, well, the physics of the game were off. And so it would run into a trap and then run out of a trap. And then, so the crowd was always going, ah, oh, ah, every shot. <clears throat> That's not what the heavenlies are doing. The angels aren't up there going, oh, good. Oh, I had a bad thought. Oh, now that's, oh, boy. They're not doing that. It's more like, and angels are not our parents in any, in any sense of the term, but it's more like a parent watching a child play. They're looking at the whole thing, the gestalt, as we used to say. They're looking at the whole thing and encouraging us onward. You may feel alone, but you're not. You're just not, and you never will be. In case you didn't know where this is going, you're about to be invited to join the family that we read about in chapter 11. That's good news. That's also bad news. You're about to run a race on a road that is full of potholes and unlimited, unnamed, and unexpected dangers. To start... Make sure you're not carrying anything you don't have to carry. Let's talk about this for a bit. Some of you might be a little unsettled at this point. If you've watched a lot of religious TV or you've watched, listened to a lot of it on television or podcasts, many of them are all about the triumph, the victory, the triumph, and the victory. And I agree with all of that. I just don't expect it here. That happens later. Here is the race. Here is the struggle. Here's the difficulty. I was speaking at a church last Sunday. One of the leaders came up to me. I've known him for a long time. And he looked at me and he goes, why does that have to be so hard? And I looked at him and I said, because life is difficult. I and mean, we're born crying, aren't we? And in the old days, if you weren't crying, the doctor would hold you up upside down and whack you on the rear end. Like, listen, Lottie, you're in the planet now. Start crying. That's your... <laughs> That's the appropriate response to what just happened to you. You are comfortable, welcome to being uncomfortable. I've often told people that the difference between me and Albert is when the, the doctor spanked Albert, he prayed for him. Uh, <coughs> he spanked me, I pulled a knife on him. 
it, it's, it's a struggle. So don't be carrying what you don't need to be carrying. The, in case you don't know about this, um, military people, I know a lot more about the Marines than I do other groups. The Marines, before they take the field, will turn to each other and have somebody grab their vest and shake them to see if anything rattles. Is there anything that makes noise? And they're not shy about shaking because when you get into the field, one little rattle, one little crinkle, and you're all dead. This is to save everybody's life, pare it down, secure everything, stow it away, learn to carry what you need to carry and don't carry what you don't need to carry. That's a big part of their training. In fact, even as they're in their, their boot camp, you might think, why do they have to make the beds like they do? And everybody's yelling at them about how they make the bed. And how do you, you have a scribe who draws on, on the, uh, the blackboard, the whiteboard, whatever it is, about where everything is stowed away in the locker. They say, how does that help you fight battles? By getting you ready to be organized and understand what goes and what doesn't. And where everything goes. And when it should go there. And Christians, we need to be better at this than they are. We need to be prepared to understand what are we carrying. Auto people who know this sort of thing and, and spend their lives measuring this sort of thing say that Americans waste millions of gallons of petrol gas every year by carrying stuff in their vehicle that they're not using that day. Golf clubs or whatever. One of my favorites was a guy that said a lady brought her car in because every time she went around a corner, there's a big thud in it, and she was afraid. Of, and he fixed it by removing a bowling ball that was in the back of the... You don't need that right now. Don't take it if you don't need it right now. What are you carrying that you don't need to carry? What's on your back that doesn't need to be there? Who's on your back that you don't need to be carrying around? The old Thomas Harris books of the 70s, I'm okay, you're okay. If you read the books, you realize he wasn't saying anybody was okay and you're okay. He was trying to help you diffuse the game of life where this person says this, therefore you should respond like this. He was trying to teach the game and the payoff and how to break that. But the fact is, he had some very excellent points. He said, the voices in your head stop for a moment. Who do they sound like? They sound like an overcritical mother. Do they sound like that aunt that would never leave you alone? Why did I pick two women? Why, um, let's just go with the guys, um, because guys can be very horrible. Um, it, does it sound like your father, who never, never told you you did well, and never gave you the blessing? Who does the voice sound like? Who are you listening to in your head? That was a good lesson to learn. Who's... It might be people, it might be stuff. What stuff is holding you back? We had a member that wouldn't let the teens come to their, uh, have their meeting at their house on a Sunday because she was afraid of what it would do to the carpet. And fair enough, teens are feral beasts at best. But I love them to pieces. They want to mess up my carpet, come for it. You know, it's worth it. You know, we, we just feel like if it's really badly stained, it's a, it's a twister game. You know, that's all it is. Yeah, be inventive. When we were uh, at our first church work in Scotland, the minister, when he found out we had picked up somebody and brought them in on that Sunday, said, oh, don't get started doing that. that they'll, they'll make you run after them every Sunday, and I've ruined, I've, I've, I've ruined two cars that way. 
And I looked at him and I go, why do you have a car? Isn't that what it's there for? So it might not be people you're carrying around. It might be stuff. It could also be sins, guilt, anger, grudges. If you carry a grudge against somebody else, you're harming you, not them. Drop it. You will not make it far on this trip unless and until you realize that you need to shed some things. You need to take some things off. You need to leave these things behind in the dust. They're gone now. I will not name those things for you because that's between you and God. And there's the thing. It is between you and God. It keeps you from drawing as close as you need to God. It's an active issue. It cannot be dodged. You will only run well if you pay attention to this critical critical detail throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles I've had people say what is that sin and again that answer is different for you than it is for me what is the sin that so easily entangles then fix your eyes on Jesus that's where these songs came from is this this first part of Hebrews Jesus is the destination I have been to lectureships I have read books I have been to the old gospel meetings and revivals where the church was preached and our doctrine was preached and conformity to that church and doctrine was preached and Jesus never or rarely got mentioned. Now you may think that's an exaggeration, but it, no, no. It, that sent my church spinning into losses and divisions because we weren't looking at the right person. We're reading Paul and what he thought about Jesus. And by the way, Paul's thinking about Jesus is critically important. But I knew everything about Paul and didn't know anything about Jesus. And when that dawned on me, it broke my heart. Reading Jesus first and then Paul changed everything. We need to get our eyes on the right place. It'd be like trying to get to Detroit by following all the road signs to Chicago. No. You're going to end up somewhere else. Where is Jesus? Focus on Jesus. Here's another bit of information that the writer wants you to know. There will be pain. This will be hard. But there will be joy at the end of the journey. I have never been by the bedside of a Christian as they lay dying who expressed any regret for their faith or for the time they put into worship coming together as a church, learning the songs, learning the prayers. I have never heard any regret their Christianity. I've, in fact, as they leave us, and death is a process for most people, unless you die in an accident or war, death is a process, not so much an event. And as they leave us, very often the last things in their minds that they can share are songs and scripture. That goes in deep, that takes root, and that changes things. There seems to be a law in the universe, pain now, pleasure later, pleasure now, pain later. It's not karma, don't do that. It's not the yin-yang, it's not we all must be you know, dualistic balanced. No, no, that's not it. What they mean by this is, if you eat stuff that's good for you right now, which is painful, let's all admit it, there will be pleasure later. You will live much longer to experience more pain. If, if you eat donuts uh, wrapped in sausage, that's pleasure. There will be pain later. 
yeah, there will be. The surgeries will hurt. The medicines will cost. You see how that works? If you refuse to exercise now, totally understandable, there will be, there will be pain later. If you exercise now, it's painful. As uh, several of the military services will say, pain is just weakness leaving the body. Look at this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer. All right, he's the one to show us how it works. The perfecter of this faith. Next line. It has the word endured in it. For the joy set before him, he endured. You don't see joy and endured in the same sentence very often. Scorning at shame. Well, I don't see that one in there either. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This doesn't sound like a lot of religious TV. This road will be rough and rocky. This road will be difficult. But nothing worthwhile is ever easy. Nothing. Everything worthwhile has a cost. And that cost, once we pay it, makes sense. Hebrews 12, 4 through 8. Let's, let's go there. In your struggle against sin, you're sensing a theme? You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Okay, that's something that should be in the interview. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Now, let's talk about discipline. Um, if, we, if we experience pain in this life, and we will, sometimes it's because we are around people that cause pain. A drunk drives into a school bus and innocent people feel pain because somebody else's sin. We get this. Uh, somebody takes a rifle into a mall, everybody suffers because of one sin. We get all of this, right? But most of the pain we will endure in our life comes from just that this is a fallen world and self-inflicted pain. The decisions we made. We made bad choices. Now we need to be disciplined. Discipline, sadly, in our society, in our culture, it, it, it's changed meaning several times. It's come, when we say discipline to people now, they, they kind of freeze up a bit and they think punishment. We, I hope we disabused most of us of that, it, that idea when we went through the, the Christian disciplines, or at least a lot of them, took months to do it. Discipline means to bring them back into line, to help them follow again, help them walk the right path. In fact, some people have so misused these verses on discipline that it's hard to even use them in a modern context. Uh, look at Proverbs 22 and verse 15. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Now, a lot of people think that's a stick you hit them with and they get smarter. No, hitting people doesn't increase IQ and impart information other than that guy's got a stick. That rod of correction is a very word we use today, if we translate it out, 
to mean the word, canon of scripture. Apply the scripture, apply the teaching. One of the things my, my son and other Marines have told me is that sometime during boot camp, it's usually the last day, you realize that they are so hard on you, but they're not going to let you fail. It's not like you can go home. They're not going to let you fail. And I think of that with God, and God's, again, I don't mean to bring him to our level at any sense. God has no intention of letting you fail. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to him for repentance. He's on your side here. The discipline you feel is him helping you move closer to God and understand that's a problem over there. Uh, and on American roads now, you've got a lot of rumble strips. If you weave a little bit more, hit you, and you realize, oh, I've got to be over here now, right? I best put down the phone, the big gulp, and my sandwich, and, and notice where I am on the road. Sorry for the deputies that are sitting here among us right now. That wasn't me. It was a friend I heard about somewhere else. It was a different, different, different state, different state. We are told in this passage uh, back in Hebrews, don't complain about how tough it is when you've not yet bled about this. It just amazes me how quickly we in the West yell persecution. We're not being persecuted. If you can't be a Christian now, you can't be a Christian. If you can't be a Christian here, you can't be a Christian. We have more peace, more protections, more places to be a Christian, and more societal acceptance uh, than anywhere else I can think of. It's, don't, don't yell persecution just because somebody said happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Or they changed the color of a Starbucks cup. It's your fault for going there and buying burnt beans. <clears throat> I, don't, I don't drink coffee because I've not really, I never really enjoyed the taste of it until I'd make it a Snickers bar. And then there's the pleasure pain issue. The pain that you experience on earth is not devoid of purpose. In other words, as C.S. Lewis put it, before we talk about the problem of suffering, we have to ask, is there any upside of suffering? Does suffering do us good? And he takes off on that tack, and it's a brilliant tack. Whenever I meet people with depression, and I've suffered depression in my life, one of the first things I ask them is, how are you using it for others? What are you doing with your depression that would help somebody else. The same with pain. If you experience pain, how do you use that to help others? How do you use that to focus your own mind on Christ and God and the way we're moving forward? Instead of saying, why am I going through this? We can ask, what can I do with this? What is God teaching me? And by the way, I'm not, not suggesting that God causes our pain, loss, and disappointment. No, but he can use them. He can use them for our gain. Genesis chapter 50, if we can put that up. Are we there? Thank you. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The devil can really come at you thinking, I've got him now, but if you take it and give it to God, look what he can do with it. He can transform things because you handed it to him. When we had our children out in public, we'd discipline them. Don't do that, stop that, move over here. You know, the, the litany that, that goes on when you take a child out in public. 
We did not discipline other children. They weren't ours. Uh, therefore, they were stinky, smelly beings, unworthy of our children. You know how that works, right? Your children are wonderful, perfect. These other kids we're quite concerned about. But we discipline our children. We don't discipline other children. God loves you, so he's going to teach you. Discipline, again, does not mean getting hit. He's going to teach us and bring us back into line. Hebrews 12, 9 through 13. Again, look at this pain, now, pleasure, later. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it, eventually. By the way, that's not on the day. You know, I've never, when I told my kids, no, you couldn't go to that movie, heard them say, oh, blessed art thou among fathers for watching over us. No, 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 that, that's a leader thing, right? How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. Now, let me just explain. He's, he's, he or she, whoever wrote this, is is intimating. It's kind of a little hint there. Sometimes fathers and mothers discipline us for their good. I, I bring to you the concept of bedtimes and naps. Very often, we would put our children to sleep, to bed, because we were tired. Not necessarily of them, but just of life at that stage. Plus, we wanted to get the ice cream out, and we needed them in bed first. There are other, you, you get the point. He's saying God's never like that. It's always for our good. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet. That's just a line out of Proverbs that just means don't make things harder than it has to be. So that the lame may not be disabled but rather healed. Wow. I'm told by those who inhabit gyms and health clubs of others, the only machine I know how to work there is a snack machine, that you go to work on problem areas in your body, or at the very least you have leg day, arm day, etc. The, the writer here says, check your weak places. Where are you vulnerable? What, where will the devil come at you? I can't help you with this because, I, and I've said this before, every single time I've guessed at the way the devil was going to come at me next, I was wrong. He, he's a very sly being. All I can do is try to find the weak spaces and toughen those up. And here we're not talking physical, we're talking spiritual. I, I think you all understand this. What tempts you? What tempts you may not tempt me, but that doesn't mean I'm better than you or you're better than me. We're all tempted by something, that sin that so easily entangles. We're all tempted. So we need to help each other so that the lame can be healed. We carry each other. And we take turns doing it. Because we all need to be carried sometimes. Don't make it harder than it has to be. Don't put yourself into situations where you're going to stumble and struggle. Instead, let your yes be yes, your no be no, and your eyes be focused on Jesus the Christ. Mark, would you bring your team back up, please? Hard to believe that after 5,000 announcements, I'm, I'm about done. Am I able to go down, do you think, with the... No, I'm no jumping. All right, I don't want to you know, cause an issue. Stand in front of the field, you're fine. Okay, thank you.
Thank you. Acoustics is actually an amazing science that I know nothing about. So I, I know I set off monitors. And so let me walk past this one. Here we go. Now, did you notice how the passage ended? God doesn't want us disabled. He wants us healed. He's on our side. He doesn't want us to fail. It's time to do an internal and external inventory. What are you carrying? What's holding you back? Where are your eyes? What's your focus? In what ways are you complicit in your own pain? Why don't we stand and join the great cloud of witnesses and read these verses together as a church. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And the whole church says...